Podcast. Christina Cho, and this is Steam the Podcast, where I get to talk to amazing women and other underrepresented minorities in the fields of science, technology, engineering, mathematics, and the arts, or STEAM, and highlight the brilliant work they do and talk about the ways we can make STEAM truly more inclusive, equitable, and diverse. The title of our episode today is Boss Bitch. Either you responded with a hell yes, or you cringed a little. Either way, you can guess what today's episode will be about, women in STEAM. Although we've made great advancements for women in STEAM education and the workforce, there are still a few things, or maybe a lot of things, that need to be improved. Women still make up a minority of workers in STEAM fields, roughly 30%, and the stats are worse for women of color who make up less than 10% of the STEAM workforce. Then there's all the crap women who are in STEAM have to deal with. 70% of women in STEAM have reported experiencing microaggressions and biases related to their competence and merit. Things like having their judgment questioned in their area of expertise, or having to work harder than men to prove themselves, or having to provide more evidence of competence than their peers, or having men explain things to them in their area of expertise, or being assumed that they're more junior than they actually are, or having their accomplishments or ideas credited to someone else. The list goes on and on. These biases and microaggressions aren't just limited to women in STEAM, but women in any historically male-dominated fields. For example, when Ketanji Brown-Jackson was up for Supreme Court seat, there was a lot of talk in the mainstream media about how she was only being considered because she was a Black woman, not because she was qualified. It didn't matter that she had a bachelor's and law degree from Harvard University, or that she was the most experienced trial court judge to join the Supreme Court in almost a century, or that she was the only second sitting judge to serve at all three levels of the federal judiciary, or that she had more years of experience as a judge than four of the sitting justices combined. Then there's Hungarian swimmer Katina Hozu, who broke the world world record in the 400-meter individual medley at the Rio Olympic Games, only to have her husband be credited for her success. The NBC announcer Dan Hicks said on air that her husband was the man responsible for Hozu's record-breaking performance. These are two obvious and more well-known examples of gender bias, and we only know about it because it was in the mainstream media. If this type of bias can be publicly aired, can you imagine the degree and types of microaggressions and biases women endure behind closed doors, in labs, offices, and classrooms? Then there's the pay gap. Women make less than men across STEAM fields, whether it's engineering or choreography, mathematics or fine arts. Women generally get paid less for the same work. So how can we address these issues? Well, first, we need to know that these issues exist. We have to shine a light on the problems so that people, not just women, but all people, know that bias and discrimination exists and persists. All because we are seeing more women in STEAM, it doesn't mean that sexism is resolved. After all, we can only solve problems if we know they exist. So today, I'll be talking with two exceptional women about their experiences in their respective STEAM fields. And yes, we'll talk about the bad stuff, but we'll also talk about how awesome it is to be a woman in STEAM. I'll be talking with Bethany Spencer, dancer, yoga instructor, and special education teacher's aide, and Kristen O'Malley, field application scientist and digital insights at Kyogen. 
Bethany Spencer is a special education teacher's aide and owner and instructor of the Yoga Cure Healing Hot Yoga Studio. In fact, I met Bethany years ago when I took my first hot yoga class. I still remember watching her teach in a hot, humid room, fully pregnant, so gracious and strong while I was dying. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, it was crazy. Anyways, so Bethany started dancing at the age of five and attended the University of Utah for modern dance, one of the top dance schools in the country, until she left the university to have her spine fused. While she was recovering from her procedure, she continued to work with small dance companies around Denver and received her Associates of Arts from Arapahoe Community College. After obtaining her Associates degree, Bethany moved back to upstate New York, where she began her career as a yoga instructor. This past June, she graduated summa cum laude from SUNY Empire State College with a Bachelor of Science degree in Human Development, and she is currently working on her Master's in Adolescent Special Education at SUNY Empire State College. As an educator, she has taught children with special needs from preschool all the way to middle school, helping design, helping design teaching curriculums and plans for students with mild to severe medical needs. She is also the co-owner of the Yoga Cure Healing Hot Yoga Studio, where she teaches Bikram yoga and Pilates. Having been in her classes, I can tell you firsthand you will absolutely get an amazing workout and feel mentally and emotionally replenished at the end of class. She's also a mother to three wonderful children, a community leader, and activist for civil rights. Kristen O'Malley is a field application scientist for Kaijin Digital Insights, where she helps develop new bioinformatic analysis software. I met Kristen while doing a spatial biology project and instantly headed off. She had just this positive energy, and I enjoyed collaborating with her so much that I just had to have her on this podcast. (laughs) Kristen received her Bachelor of Science in Biology from Worcester State University. Immediately after graduating college, Kristen joined the workforce. She started as a forensic technician for the Office of the Chief Medical Examiner in Worcester, Mass., then switched gears and became a scientist in biochemical and molecular biology. She has worked at major pharmaceutical and biotech companies, including Novartis, Q, Jones Therapeutics, and Nanostring Technologies. And over the course of her career, she developed an expertise in next-generation sequencing and bioinformatics and is currently working at Kyogen to develop new methods of bioinformatics analyses. Kristen is also the founder and president of Pibbles Kibbles Pet Food Pantry, a nonprofit that provides supplementary and emergency pet food to those in need in Massachusetts. Kristen and Bethany, welcome to Steamed. Thank Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) So there's a lot to talk about. But I want to start a little bit, uh, I want to spend a little bit of time about the two of you, like just to get to know you guys a little bit better so our listeners know how awesome you guys are. So Kristen, what or who inspired you to become a biologist and what made you turn to genomics, the field that you specialize in now? Yeah, so even as a little kid, I have been obsessed with science. So um, I remember, you know, as a young little Bright, I used to find rocks in the middle of like fields and we were out on nature walks and I wanted to bring them home to study them. So I always remember my poor dad having to like lug boulders and stuff like that out of like these like 45 minute walks out into the into the wilderness there. And then, um, you know, luckily my family always kind of nurtured that side of me. Um, my dad was a chemical engineer and um, he helped me, you know, set up my chemistry set in the basement. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I've been a nerd since day one, pretty much right out of the awesome. gate. Yeah. So, you know, in that type of environment, you know, I always, again, was super enthralled with science from the get go. 
And then it was actually um, a high school teacher that really just like sealed the deal for me. Mm. So um, yeah, my, um, my uh, A&P teacher, uh, Miss McAuliffe was just instrumental in seeing this really strong, charismatic woman um, be able to go out there and do it right. And be able to get people excited about science and all of that. So she was definitely the one that was like, yeah, this stuff is super fun. So I'm going to, you know, see where this brings me in my life. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. And, and Bethany, how about you? You are a dancer and yoga instructor and your special needs educator. How did you choose your career path? Yeah, it um, it all started with dance. I started dancing at a young age and never really had a plan B. My ballet teacher growing up graduated from the University of Utah. So from about middle school, that was my plan. And I trained extensively through high school and auditioned and got accepted. Um, but I did have pretty severe um, stress fractures in my spine starting at about the age of 16. Um, wow. And surgery was suggested at that point. Yeah. So I was in a lot of pain. Um, But, you know, Mm. I was 16 and a pretty stubborn, stubborn one at that. So (laughs) um, I went to Utah and didn't last long. Um, After the first semester, I knew I I needed the surgery. So I came home um, and spent a couple years after the surgery just trying to figure out what plan B looked like. um, And that included spending some time studying political science, um, business management. And eventually, years later, an old friend from dance took me to my first Bikram yoga class. And it clicked for me right away. I remember thinking during my first class that this was, you know, a healthy way I could use my body again and express myself with my body and also something I could Mm -hmm. teach and find that love again, like I had with dance. So I went to teacher training just several months later um, and started teaching yoga right away. And again, didn't really have a plan B or any other intention (laughs) of doing anything else until um, I had my third son, Charlie, who actually turns six tomorrow. Wow. Happy birthday, Charlie. Happy birthday, Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) And he had some special needs. He had some developmental delays. And my mother was a special needs educator. So when he was about 18 months old, she expressed some concerns with his joint attention and speech delay. So we had him evaluated. And he didn't qualify for a full special ed program right away. But he did get speech, OT, and PT. But his speech pathologist and his OT, who are both like amazing women as well, Mm -hmm. just a shout out to them, um, said that the preschool that provided the services always needed um, like teaching assistance. And if you worked there, then you could bring your kids there for free. They could attend the program for free. So he could get into a classroom with a special ed teacher if I worked there. So I did. I applied and I got the job. And he and my middle child, my daughter, Reese, started attending preschool there. Um, He ended up qualifying for special needs services later on. But that's kind of Mm -hmm. what set me on this path. And I I absolutely loved being in the classroom. I worked in an 812 nonverbal, very high needs classroom and just fell in love Mm -hmm. with it ended up finding the middle school I wasn't sure how going from a nonverbal preschool (laughs) classroom to a middle school was gonna work (laughs) but um I fell in love with it and that's how I ended up going to grad school for adolescent special ed that's amazing I think you know this is kind of a common um common storyline between all of our guests is that the people that inspire them are actually very 
close and dear to their hearts. It's like their family or a mentor or a teacher. And I think, you know, we'll talk about this in other episodes too, but the people in your life really do impact uh, your kind of your career trajectory and your passions. And so, yeah, that's really inspiring that, you know, it was the people the closest to you that really drove you to where you are now. So that's, that's really awesome. So as I mentioned in the intro, today's episode is, is focused on what it's like to be a woman in STEAM. And I definitely want to spend some time highlighting the work that you guys do and the success you've achieved. And I also want to delve into some of the challenges that you may have encountered along the way in your training and career. And our listeners may not have had the same lived experiences as either of you, but may still find common ground and feel that they have also experienced some of the same types of discrimination or microaggressions as you both have had. And also, hopefully, we'll find some solace and encouragement from your stories. So let's start with entering the workforce as college-educated graduates, right? Um, currently, women make up a little bit more than 50% of all college-educated adults in the U.S., but, less, but make up less than a third of the workforce. So there's clearly a discrepancy here, right? So women are getting educated, but they're not getting the jobs or they're not moving up the ladder. So what do you think are some of the barriers or challenges that prevent women from entering their workforce? I think it's really intimidating to break into a career, right? So especially mm -hmm. being a woman, um, you need to be, you need to ride that edge between being assertive and confident, but not, you know, I'm going to use the term bitchy or, mm -hmm. um, you know, just cocky kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I feel like for me, breaking into a role where, you know, there's lots of male scientists, many of them are PhDs, you know, it was tough to try to rise above the noise right mm. and be assertive and be confident um so that can be really you know i know for me it was it was hard it was hard at the beginning to try to practice that assertiveness and that confidence to try to um overcome those louder voices than mine right and then i feel like also like now i'm a lot more extroverted but when i was younger i was introverted right i was mm. very shy i was unsure of myself so it was that much harder for me to speak louder than those around me to to get the attention right so i don't know it was um that was a lot to overcome you know that was a lot to cover overcome mm -hmm. i really okay. relate to what you said about age um i you know i'm starting this brand new career at an older age i'll be 40 next year yeah that is not old <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. That is young. I, yeah. love, I love getting older. I love everything about it. I don't dread it one bit. Um, I really do. I really mean that. But I was absolutely, 20 years ago, you know, at age 20, I was much more timid. I had not found my voice. I don't think I mm -hmm. would... I mean, I wasn't doing the same things that I'm doing now. So definitely starting this new chapter of my life and this new career at the age that I am, I think is is one thing that's helping me out at this point. Mm -hmm. And then for me personally, a barrier has just been my family, being a mom, having kids. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's challenging. And my husband is in a career where he will always make more money than I will. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to prioritizing our family's needs, you know, I'm kind of my job and my work sometimes has to take the back burner because mm -hmm. that's just that's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's like very relatable for me, too. Did, Kristen, did you want to add something to that? 
No, I was going to say, you know, the family management aspect of it. Absolutely. So I don't have any children myself, but, Mm -hmm. you know, even just running a household, right. To, you know, get, you know, appointments on the calendar to make sure that this is taken care of and that taken care of, right. That always falls on women, right. Those gender kind of roles that were imprinted with, and they've just carried forward as much as we've tried to holler past them. Right. It's, it's hard to break out of. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I know. Like my husband works from home, um, so he's kind of like the stay-at-home parent right now. You know, he's on <laughs> calls a lot, and there is a lot of travel involved with his job. But when he's home, he's home, and it's easier for him to run and pick up the kids or do appointments. And I don't know how many times we've told the school that he is the primary contact, and they never, <laughs> ever, ever call him first. Yeah. It's always me. <laughs> yeah. 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 That is so like, actually, that's like, that's exactly what I wanted to talk about, too, because there were a lot, there was a lot of research that came out um, during the COVID-19 pandemic that women in general were just less productive. And this was across all like science fields. Um, And what they found was that female scientists published less Uh, just overall less. They submitted less papers, published less papers. They started fewer projects. And what they saw the greatest loss of productivity in were women with young children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, this is like, I absolutely went through this. So during the pandemic, I couldn't work for six months. And it was because we had zero access to childcare. It's also that a lot of labs had hiring freezes and I was transitioning from one lab to the next. But, um, you know, the assumption uh, and reality was that I had to stay home and take care of our child while my husband got to go to work. And before, you know, people burn my husband at the stake, you know, he's a, a medical <laughs> physician and he was working as an intern during the height of the pandemic. And frankly, paternity leave is not something that the medical or science field really truly support. It's very hard for men to take paternity leave. Um, and so even though a part of him really did want to help and want to alleviate some of that burden for me so that I can go back to work and restart my career. He also couldn't just like leave or ask for time off. It was just something he couldn't ask for. And so, um, you know, I, I think the pandemic hopefully is over, but it really put a spotlight on like gender inequality um, that is really rampant in steam fields, like across steam fields. And so, mm-hmm. um, and as we mentioned earlier, like there are more men that are stepping up to do their share, right? But the gender gap between high s- housework and childcare continues to exist and persist. And um, it's also been shown that in general, women have a harder time attending like after work social events that are important for career progression and networking, right? Um, I remember my my boss and I are having this conversation and he said, you know, women, you know, they just kind of stand back. Like they don't do the social stuff. It was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you know, he's like, I'm introverted, but women are worse. I was like, <laughs> explain that. He's like, <laughs> he's like well, they, they, you know, they kind of like, you know, stand back. They don't sit at the table. They don't like go and have the conversations. They don't go to all the social events that actually are critical in helping you move up the ladder. And so, um, you know, basically they they become almost invisible to leadership and are less likely to get promoted or, you know, get the important projects. So, you know, since we're already kind of touching that subject, did you guys, do you guys feel that as women and wives, you're expected to kind of sacrifice your career for the sake of being a caretaker or the homemaker? Or do you find that maybe you don't have to sacrifice your career, but the timeline or the speed at which you achieve success or 
reach the top, you know, is longer or slower. I know for me, the pandemic was difficult. Um, I had three kids doing virtual school, virtual Oof. therapy, all of that. And I was trying to teach virtual preschool to, Oof. you know, special needs students. Um, and and that, that was all me. And when we ended up going back the next school year in person, the restrictions were still so severe that my kids in elementary school would get sent home at like the first sneeze or sniffle. Yep. So my mm-hmm. oldest son, Matthew, um, has a lot of anxiety and we we gave them all the choice. We talked a lot about what they wanted to do and he chose to stay virtual for that second year. Um, but Reese wanted to start kindergarten in person. So she did. But by October, she had missed three weeks of school already oh, because yep. <laughs> she would be sent home and have to get tested and have to wait until she went back. So we decided the best thing was just to have something consistent, even if it wasn't ideal. So I had been back in person um, and I ended up leaving to go home to help the two kids mm-hmm. who were at home doing virtual school. And it was, you know, it was obviously mm-hmm. never even a question. Um, Matt couldn't juggle all of that being at home and working. And he is a wonderful and very supportive um, partner. But it's just, you know, he, he again, he's what pays our bills. Um, so, mm-hmm. Krista, did you have similar experiences or feelings about that? Yeah. So I, like I said before, I don't have children. So, um, you know, it's a little bit different for me. Mm. So, you know, I luckily was, you know, in a situation where I didn't have to make those hard decisions, but, you know, I've seen lots of women around me, like, you know, for instance, my mom, um, Mm -hmm. definitely, you know, didn't kind of come into her own with her career as a nurse until, I was, you know, in college, really, because Mm -hmm. she spent all of her time, you know, focused on us, um, devoting our entire life to us, um, myself and my sister, um, and our family, you know, that she put herself on the back burner, right? Mm -hmm. And that was something that I saw her do. And I love her so much for doing it. But it was also one of those moments, too, of, you know, it's important to make sure that you're also, you know, prioritizing your own self, right? Mm -hmm. So you can kind of show up in the best way possible for Mm -hmm. your family, for your coworkers, for your hobbies, Mm -hmm. your interests, you know, and all of that stuff. So again, like, you know, I definitely, I don't know how you guys (laughs) did it. I have no idea. Like you are super women. I... (laughs) Unbelievable, definitely. So, you know, there are a I lot definitely... of tears, a lot of tears. <laughs> oh, I imagine. I imagine, right? I, I think T-, T was there for one of the breakdowns during like February. <laughs> like, I was like, we, that, like, there was from, from December 21st to like February 1st, the daycare shut down like for about 20 days. Oof. And yeah, and you know, and my husband can't just like leave the hospital, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's in a nice specialty, like he's in derp. Like that's a nice cush, like nine to five ish kind of job. But even still, he like couldn't leave. So I would be like in the lab, and I would get the call. Like, anytime I saw like the 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 daycare phone number, I would be like, ah shit. Like all right, so and then it's, like, it, it'll completely like done for at least like three four days because then you have to keep them home. You do the testing. You got to make sure everything is clear. And then you know if the daycare shuts down because there's multiple kids who are sick, then you're just done. And I remember coming into lab, and I remember sitting in T's office. I just started crying. I was like, this is too much. 
<laughs> I feel like there's like whiplash. Like I start going and then I stop. I start going and then I stop. Um, and I think, you know, I think a lot of the women that I spoke to who are like mothers, they that was like the hardest part, especially during the pandemic, was their lives were like constantly on pause. It was like as soon as you try to get going. Yep. And that whiplash was like really emotionally and mentally very hard. But, you know, I think there are things that even women without children experience. Right. So like a lot of times, especially in male dominated fields, like there's this feeling of maybe I don't belong here. And Mm -hmm. that feeling, even if it's not necessarily true, um, that can really impact how you interact with other people. So, you know, I know we've talked about like on the perspective of being a mom, but for someone like you, Kristen, who don't have children, what do you think kind of like maybe affects you um, in a negative way from like kind of going out there and just being like, you know, I want to move up the ladder too. I want to compete too. Like, what do you, is there something that's different for women than men in that aspect of being competitive, you think? Oh, big time. Right. So, um, I feel like women, unfortunately, right. Um, growing up, we're taught to sit to the wayside, let Mm -hmm. the dudes do their thing. Right. So it's, it's hard to undo that. So I definitely have run into situations, you know, where, um, it was difficult to try to find my voice, number one. So like, mm-hmm. you know, especially breaking into a career, right? So I'm mm-hmm. out of college. I'm trying to find myself like as a person mm-hmm. first, right? So I have no idea what I want. I'm a totally different person than, you know, now as a 41-year-old lady than I was as, you know, a 20-year-old kid kind of thing. Yeah. So finding myself as like an individual, right, was... um huge. And then of course, trying to break into a career, um, as a woman, um, you know, it was hard trying to find that confidence. Right. And Mm. I feel like there's this edge to, of a woman who's confident, right. Mm -hmm. There's this, there's a stigma around it, right. If you come in and you're like, no, I know my shit, like cool it, you know, it's seen (laughs) as, cockiness right it's Mm. seen as just like oh you're aggressive right whereas a dude if a guy was just you know do the same exact thing it's just like oh yeah he knows his stuff and it's just Mm -hmm. like oh yeah you know you take that as face value whereas a woman you have to do fifty thousand things you know there's that where's that that um you know, you hear that uh, adage all the time where it's like, oh, you're a baseball fan, you know, name 50 teams. We're like, that doesn't happen with, you know, chicks or with uh, with dudes, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. I I think that's, yeah, it's <laughs> try, trying to find yourself, trying to find your voice and then trying to find a, overcome that competitiveness, right? We're always trying to keep up with the Joneses and the Joneses are always, I don't know, just 15 steps ahead of us. I feel like, so we just have Mm. to kind of run faster, harder, do Mm -hmm. more. And then there's always like, you know, as a woman without children, there's the stigma of like, well, why doesn't she have kids? Mm. Why doesn't she have a family? You know, was that, where's your mothering mate, you know, nurturing side. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. How dare you not use your womb? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, 
it's interesting where, yeah, where folks are like, Ooh, you don't have kids. And it's like, well, first of all, it's none of your business why I don't have children. Absolutely. Right? Maybe, right. Maybe I can't have them or maybe I just chose not to like, that's my decision to make. But mm-hmm. being a woman without children definitely colors you in a way to other folks um, where you're not, there's something wrong with you. Right. There's mm. like, again, you don't want to nurture. Or like, maybe there's something physically wrong with you, whatever it is. But there's definitely that weird stigma around that. Yeah, I think people see that's that's something. Yeah, go ahead, Bethany. Oh, no, I was just people love to insert themselves in like your, you know, whether you do or do not have (laughs) children. I remember being pregnant with Uh one of my kids and like just walking out of the post office and this elderly woman Mm -hmm. came up and put her hands on my belly. And it was right around um, an election. And she was like, (laughs) well, I know you're going to vote for Mitt Romney because you made the right choice. And I was just like, oh, my God. Like, you know nothing about me and my political views. And, like, I was like, if you only knew a lady, like, get your hands off me. (laughs) Oh, my God. But also what I was going to add is, like, being a woman in business, my business partner, who's also a woman, and I deal with that all the time, like, trying to Mm -hmm. get a lease and dealing with the landlords who still, to this day, call us the girls. And, you know, especially in a field like yoga, which, you know, people perceive as more feminine, I think, most of the time, even though we're both experts in Bikram yoga and what we do, going through that process was incredibly frustrating um, and is still frustrating dealing with them and just trying to prove yourselves and we know what we're doing and you know they were just trying to make a lot of the decisions for us and uh, it was it was hard yeah Mm -hmm. like you don't know I mean you don't know how to make decisions no (laughs) you have a you don't have that extra you have that extra x chromosome not the y the decision making chromosome but anyways I'm being I'm being a little mean um, no, but it's, I think, so, you know, this is, this is something that this, this topic came up in like more than one episode, uh, imposter syndrome, right? So Ooh. we're kind of touching on it a little bit. So, you know, there's like external forces. So the fact that there might not be so much support for maternity leave or, or childcare, or the fact that there's like societal expectations that women do more of the, you know, family you know, household work, those are like external things. And there's obviously like institutionalized sexism as well, you know, like assuming that women aren't as committed or, you know, driven as men, like those, those things are external, but then there's like the internal stuff, the things that we as women have to deal with inside of ourselves and, you know, imposter syndrome is like the big one, right? So I know that our listeners have probably heard this so much, like imposter syndrome, ah. But basically, imposter syndrome is feeling inadequate, even though you're actually, in all reality, really good at what you do and deserving of your success. And so instead of being like, yes, I'm qualified and awesome, my success is a product of my hard work and effort, it's thinking, oh, I just got lucky. I'm so lucky to be here. And then then you have all these unfounded anxiety and fears. You're going to get caught like, oh, I like lucked out and got here. What if someone figures out that I'm just lucky and know that I'm not good enough? And that like eats away at you. So, you know, have either of you faced imposter syndrome and how do you deal with that? Every day, every (laughs) single day I have imposter syndrome. Absolutely. 
it's getting quieter as I get older. So kind of like what Bethany said, you know, as I'm getting older, I am loving it because I'm just getting more confident and more sure of myself. And like, no, 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 I am actually good at my job. You know, this wasn't just, again, like the luck of the draw of like, if I hadn't known this guy who called me to invite me into Novartis, you know, I wouldn't have been on this trajectory. But it's like, no, 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 no. Like, you know, taking those steps back. And it's like, no, it's not because I knew that that guy that called me to work at Novartis. It's because I busted my butt at the place mm-hmm. that I was at. I was a hard worker. I was very good at my job. Um, I like to think that I'm enjoyable to work with. It was those mm-hmm. things that got me. You are. Right? <laughs> well, thank you. So, yeah. yeah. So, you know, the the imposter syndrome, it, it kicks in all the time. And it's so funny because, like, my field and all the positions that I've held traditionally are usually, you know, PhD uh, type positions. And mm-hmm. then me with my bachelor's degree, that just kind of inserts itself in the back of my psyche mm-hmm. all the time and kind of contributes to the imposter syndrome of like, mm-hmm. dude, you're not as educated as, he, as these people. So just like be quiet and, you know, um, let the, let the adults talk kind of thing, oh. you know? So mm-hmm. it's hard. It's hard. Um, so yeah, I think every day is imposter syndrome for me. Um, like <laughs> I said, it's quieter now, but it's also something that I do kind of like to embrace it sometimes because it keeps me humble it keeps me I don't want to say embrace it right imposter imposter syndrome sucks period end of story but I feel like it does keep me humble and it keeps me always learning and it keeps me hungry Mm. for wanting to do better um learn more help you know more people be successful kind of you know that are like me kind of thing so Mm Yeah, I definitely (laughs) experienced it for a long time. And just like Kristen said, it's something that has improved with age and with time. Um, I have several wonderful female mentors in my life. Um, One of them is a yoga teacher and studio owner in North Andover, Massachusetts, Terry Mm -hmm. Almquist. And she said, and this helped me so much kind of get over that fear and the imposter syndrome, and it applies to teaching yoga, but I think so many other things in life, is that you don't have to know everything. Mm -hmm. And to teach from love and not fear, and to approach life or whatever the task is that you're doing with curiosity Mm. and to have somebody that I admired so much give me permission to not know everything like made so much of that imposter syndrome disappear so now it's you know she focuses a lot on collaborative relationships and Mm -hmm. approaching every new situation you know it's not always going to be the same but what can I learn and how can I collaborate with others so that we can you know all be improving and helping each Mm -hmm. other And just that freedom to not feel like I had to have all of the answers all of the time just gave me so much more freedom. I want to echo that so hard, (laughs) so hard. I think one of the things that definitely has helped me immensely try to, you know, combat the imposter syndrome is the getting comfortable with saying, I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. The freedom that you can have in not you know, in, in saying, oh yeah, you know what? I don't know. That's a great question. Let me look into it. Right. And then coming back and being like, oh, I looked into it X, Y, Z, you know, it's, it's like a twofold return because you're giving Mm -hmm. yourself the grace and the opportunity to learn and grow, um, you know, kind of humbly, 
but you're also building rapport with folks around you too, that can help Mm -hmm. kind of nurture like a supportive environment, right? Where you're like, all right, that's not somebody who's just going to like blow smoke and pretend that they know what they're doing. You know, (laughs) this is somebody that, you know, is like, oh yeah, she's like, she's honest, right? Where it's like, oh no, I don't know that. And guess what? It's it's okay that I don't know that, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, the the second that I kind of let that piece go and got really good at saying, I don't know, and being comfortable in that, it was mm-hmm. eye-opening, I think. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I think I think this is a really important thing for our listeners to understand is that in 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 STEAM, right, in every field of STEAM there's a little bit of the unknown. That's kind of like, there's creativity, there's new discovery, yeah. there's there's new expression. And when there's something new, <laughs> that means it's something we don't know. And so to not know is kind of par for course. Yeah. And it's okay to take some time, be like, I'm going to learn that. Or even say, I don't want to learn that. I'm going to let another expert deal with it is just as powerful as being the all knowing, I don't know, omniscient person that, you know, we're all trying to be. I don't I don't even know if that's ever possible. Um, And so, you know, imposter syndrome happens to a lot of people all the time and people deal with it differently. But I think the key thing is, is that know yourself, you know, know what you're bringing to the table, be confident in that. And what you don't know, what you haven't learned, there's your whole life ahead of you to learn all those things or not, you know, and that's okay Mm -hmm. too. So I I think it's just a matter of like, you don't have to be delusional. (laughs) You don't have to be like, I am all knowing, amazing, awesome. But you can be like, no, I I know this shit. Like I, I know what I bring to the table and I'm going to be confident in that whilst uh, being like, you know, I'm not sure I can learn it. I can get back to you or I can work with someone else and develop a partnership. So, you know, there's many ways to deal with imposter syndrome. Um, I, I actually wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about the things you guys love about what you do and where you're at, um, just so that people know that it's not all bad. <laughs> it's not all pressure and discrimination and, <laughs> and terrible crap. Um, because the reason, you know, more women are in STEAM is because, you know, it's great being a woman in STEAM. I mean, some of the most incredible people I've met in my field are women, and I've always been encouraged and impressed by other women. Um, you know, my first mentor, Dr. Gordon, I love talking about her because she's just like this. Uh, she was just, I don't know, she's amazing. Like, <laughs> like she was a uh a black woman transplant surgeon, one of three women in the department at the time, the only person of color at the time. And she was a rock star and she was my mentor and she like really advocated for her mentees and she was so professional and amazing and smart. And one of my closest friends, Amandine, like she's this like brilliant, you know, parasitologist and she's going to be starting her own lab soon. And you know, then there's you two that I've met in my life, you know, that have come in different aspects of my my own personal journey, you know, professionally and personally. And like for me, like women in women make steam, I mean, better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're mm-hmm. we're like the fun sex. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we're like the. I think you know we're like the. I know I'm being like super sexist in the other direction. I'm just saying <laughs> I, I think women have so much to offer, and I think. I just, yeah, I just want to spend a little bit of time just like, you know, um, 
shouting out to all the women that I know and also having you guys talk about like what makes what you do so much fun and you know what is your unique factor what is the Kristen factor what's the Bethany factor that you guys bring to your respective fields go ahead yeah Kristen. so yeah so I love my job love 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 it so I love being at the bench it's like getting to solve a puzzle every day right so mm. it's not only like science but it's you know just these unknown questions that you get to kind of peel back the onion and get to the center of it. Um, so that taps into, again, the puzzle solving. I'm very creative. I don't know if you can tell I'm, I'm loaded with tattoos. I look like <laughs> a very creative person. So I'm very creative <laughs> and that taps into um, that, you know, the, the sciences and the arts and whatnot, it really just taps into that and satiates that need every day. Um, I originally wanted to be like a high school teacher. So I love teaching. Mm. I love showing folks kind of, you know, getting them pumped about science. I realized that I'm not so great <laughs> dealing with like teenagers. So I pivoted <laughs> and I went, uh, I went into like the lab fields, but now like I get to be a teacher again. So a field mm. application scientist work, like I get to teach people like Christina, like yeah. here's your instrument here's the cool stuff you can do with it. Right. And having mm -hmm. those like moments where I get to see that thrill of possibility come across another scientist's face. Mm -hmm. It's like so intoxicating to be able to be like, yeah, I know. Isn't this the coolest thing since sliced bread, you know? So, <laughs> you know, I, I, I adore my profession. I adore it. It, um, you know, I think my, the Kristen factor is yeah. that I get to lean into the cartoon side of myself Okay. So I like the, you know, I used to hate public speaking. Oh my God. It was something that I was terrified of. And now I love it. I absolutely <laughs> love doing webinars and, you know, speaking engagements and all of that type of stuff. Cause it turns on that like show toony type side of my personality. <laughs> and I get to just kind of be a, nerdy goof and that's mm -hmm. that's my comfort zone it's just a nerd that loves to have fun so <laughs> that's, awesome. that's awesome if you would have told me when I was a teenager in my early 20s that I would have ended up in careers that required public speaking every single day I would have been like no <laughs> no no yeah um but it does it's changed with age um and I there's never a dull moment with with what I do. And there's really a lot of overlap mm -hmm. between the yoga and working at the middle school. And I work in a very high needs um, urban middle school. There's a lot of community violence. Um, there's a lot of poverty. So I in in both of those areas, I love being able to help people find their power um, mm. because people come to yoga with a lot of trauma background and there's a lot of trauma in the school as well. And trauma mm -hmm. is so disempowering. So I love whether it's through education or through people reconnecting with their mind and their body, allowing them to reconnect to their own 
power and self advocacy. Um, mm. And I guess the Bethany factor is I just feel like <laughs> I have a never ending supply of of love, which as a young person got me in trouble. I looked for it in the wrong places, ended up in very toxic <laughs> relationships. And, you know, I just wanted to love people. But now I get to, you know, love all my yoga students and all my middle school students and my kids. And I just um, I have a lot of patience and a lot of love to give. Yeah, those are really good factors. I like that. See, we should do this more. I think every time we meet people, we should be like, what is your factor? Yeah. Like, you know, so that people can... I know, like, I was talking to Dr. Starbird and, and one of the former, uh, in the earlier episodes, and she we talked about confidence. She's like, honestly, I have confidence. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you do, because you're <laughs> awesome. Like, she's got this presence. Like, and I think that's great. I think we should all, like, tap into that. Like, there's, everyone has that. Like, I mean, for me, I have so many factors. Like, I have, like, so many Christina <laughs> factors. Um, <laughs> but the one that I think makes me like truly competitive or like makes me really successful um, is my time management skills, which I really only started to develop after having my kid, right? Like before I'd be in the lab, like, like 14 hours a day, like working weekends, holidays. Cause I'm like, it's just me. Like, I don't, I mean, my poor husband, but you know, <laughs> like he, he, he's fine. He can fend for himself. And then I had my kid and it's like, okay, the daycare shuts down at this time. I have to get out of work by that time. You know, if my kid's sick, I have to be home. And when I go home and you know, my daughter's like, mommy play with me. I, I, I can't work. Like I have to be present for her. And so I've learned that I really have a fixed amount of time that I can dedicate my work to. And, and that ends up creating this like laser focus, right? Like when I'm in the lab, when I'm sitting at my desk or my bench, whether I'm thinking or planning or executing the experiment, like I'm focusing all of my energy to do the essential things. And at the end, even though I actually work fewer hours, I'm more productive. And I, I really only tapped into that time management stuff until after I had a kid. And so, you know, I, I think like you develop new skills as you, you know, we talked about like growing older and like, I also develop more confidence in myself with age. Like I kind of got to know myself more and what to, what I like can do and cannot do. And I think that level of like comfort, like sitting with yourself and being like, oh, I'm really good at this. And I like this about myself mm-hmm. is such an empowering thing. Um, and so, you know, I just wanted to uh, take a moment for our listeners who are listening to this episode, you know, whether you're a woman or a man or non-binary, whoever you are, wherever you are, this episode is not just about like being a woman, particularly in STEAM, but it's about being yourself in STEAM, right? It's like, you might be the only person in the room that looks and feels and thinks like you, but that doesn't mean that you don't deserve to be there or that you kind of like were the token pick and so you're lucky. No, mm-hmm. you're there because you you deserve to be there. You belong there. And hopefully by you being there, you're opening the door for other people who might be like you too. So I just wanted to thank you both so much for coming on the show and talking about like your lives and who you are. And but before we go, do you guys have any like last words of encouragement or advice for our listeners? Yourself, man. Write it until you can't. I like lean into it the sooner you can. Right. So I wish I could go back and tell 20 year old Kristen, like, Nah, dude, just, just lean into that, lean into the, to the tattoos, lean into the nerd side of your life, like stop 
being afraid of things that you don't need to be afraid of. I don't know. It's start sooner. Life's too short to let fear and, you know, what other people think kind of control what you do. Mm, I second that completely. And also don't be afraid to change. You know, I've changed careers and life paths so many times and just embrace the change and learning new things. And if, you know, you're unhappy with one thing, it's okay. You don't have to be the same person that you said you were going to be when you're 18 and graduating high school. You don't have to know exactly what you want to be when you grow up. Um, Get out there and explore and keep learning and embrace that constant change of being a human. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. And to our listeners, for more resources and a directory of our guests and our steaminists, please check out our website and see you guys next week. Steam the Podcast is brought to you by RSS.com. We're produced by Brian Kelly and Christina Cho with help from T. Badri, Naomi Phillip, Emily Chu, and Sandhya Pabakaran. Our engineer is Brian Kelly at Echo Station Studio, and original music is by David James Pugo. If you like Steam the Podcast, please share it with your friends. Let them know that they can subscribe to Steam the Podcast on RSS.com Community, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcast, Podcast Index, and Listen Notes. For resources in our directory of Steaminists, check out our website at projectsteamed.org. Thanks for listening and see you all next week. Thank you.